Andy, open your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. While you're turning there, let me uh, uh, mention a couple of things by way of prayer requests. Uh, in addition to those I mentioned this morning, pray for Beverly Black, if you would. She has a problem very similar to uh, to one of the problems that uh, my wife Bev has, and uh, she's going to be getting a report this week uh, back from uh, the biopsy. I think is uh, I think that's the way it was described. So pray for her. Also, Carl Young will be having an angiogram on Thursday and possibly a stent uh, put in, so uh, don't forget to pray for him. 1 Corinthians chapter 13, well, we are almost finished in our study of this great chapter. In fact, uh, Lord willing, in the creek don't rise, we're going to have two messages after tonight, and uh, one for sure, and I think I think I'm going to jump down to the first verse of chapter 14, and that will conclude our study on this subject. We started out talking about the prominence of love uh, there in the first three verses. It is the prominent thing, up front and personal, in your face, over and over again. God emphasizes uh, how important it is. And then beginning in verse number four, and we went down through verse number, uh, verse number eight, we looked at the picture of love. In fact, we looked at, uh, and I called it a picture album, and we looked at 15 different snapshots of love. The Bible doesn't, uh, doesn't define love, but it describes love, and this is a, a description of what love does and what love doesn't do. Well, beginning in verse number 8 tonight and down through verse 12, we're going to speak about the permanence of love, and then, Lord willing, next week we'll talk about the preeminence of love. It's not just prominent, it is preeminent, and we'll talk about that. Verse number 8, charity which is the same Greek word that's translated love, exactly the same word, charity never faileth. But whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Whether there be tongues, they shall cease. Whether there be knowledge, it shall vanish away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part, shall be done away. When I was a child, I spake as a child, and I understood as a child, I thought as a child, but when I become a man, I put away childish things, but now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. And now I know in part, but then shall I know even as also I am known. There's a lot of debate concerning these verses, and uh, it's a very controversial issue, and the debate has to do with whether or not the spiritual gifts, such as prophecy, healing, tongues, things of that nature, as to whether they exist today. There are those who believe that they do, that all of those gifts are in play. Those, those people are called charismatics. That's a name they've chosen basically for themselves 
because they believe in these grace gifts and they think they or say they continue to exist. We believe, however, that the nine spiritual gifts uh, mentioned in 1 Corinthians chapter number 12, nine spiritual gifts that were given, that all of those have ceased. And we base our belief on these verses here, and uh, naturally we could consider other things, but this is the main basis for our objection to the theory that these gifts continue to this day. And notice that in these verses, Paul is contrasting those gifts with the permanency of love. So you have the temporary nature of the spiritual gifts and the permanent nature of love. And I want you to notice three things tonight. I'll try to be brief. I often fail at that, but I will make an attempt. But there are three things I want you to think about tonight in consideration of the permanence of love. And the first one is that in verse number 8, I want you to notice he presents a contrast. Charity never faileth, but we're going to have a contrast now. In contrast to charity that never faileth, he said, whether there be prophecies, they shall fail. Now, this sets the stage for everything that follows. The Greek word translated faileth means to be done away with or reduced to inactivity. Now, that's never going to happen with love. That's real obvious. And uh, the Bible declares it so, that it, love will always be operative, and it abides forever, the Bible says. And then, and then Paul mentions three spiritual gifts that shall cease. Notice he mentions prophecies, tongues, and knowledge. Now, keep in mind that, that he's speaking about gifts, he's, he, in other words, when he talks about tongues, he's talking about languages. When he talks about knowledge here, for example, he's talking about, he's not saying that knowledge is going to, uh, going to, to cease. By the way, the Bible says knowledge is going to increase in the book of Daniel. You know, in the last days, there's going to be an increase of knowledge. So knowledge not, is not going to uh, decrease. But, but here he says knowledge is going to cease. But he's talking about spiritual gifts, the gift of knowledge, such as Peter had whenever he revealed to Ananias and Sapphira that they had lied. Nobody told him about that. God revealed that to him. He had the gift of knowledge, that is, that he knew things that God had revealed to him uh, without, you know, any uh, correspondence from, from anyone else. And so this was a gift of knowledge, a supernatural gift. When he talked about tongues, that's languages. It's not some gibberish as some people try to make it out to be. They say, well, you know, I'm speaking in my heavenly tongue and it's angelic language and da-da-da. You're not supposed to understand it. But the Bible says that they were to, in chapter 14, they were to have an interpreter. Now, there was a very good reason for the gift of tongues, and that was for the rapid spread of the gospel before the completion of the Bible. Because there in Jerusalem at that time, there in Acts chapter 2, 
there were people from all different nations that were gathered there. And imagine this. Naturally, Peter, James, and John, and all the rest of those guys, they couldn't speak all of these different languages. And so God gave them the ability to just get up and and speak in German, for example, or, you know, whatever it was. And they could speak in a, in a language. And then for those others that were there that didn't understand, there were to be, and it was to be an interpreter there, uh, to interpret. So there was no confusion. The Bible says God is not the author of confusion. So, and of course, the gift of prophecy is, you know, is that, that ability, you know, to, to be able for God enabling us to, to know and to predict, as it were, and to look into the future and to know by divine revelation things to come. Uh, the gift of prophecy is to speak under divine inspiration. For example, the prophets didn't have to study anything. Well, Brother Kenneth and I, we got to study. You know, I mean, if we're if we're going to, you know, if we're going to teach a class or if we're going to preach a sermon, we have to study. Now, I know there's some folks that, you know, I, I've i talked to some, uh, some old southern preachers that said, just, you know, get up and open your mouth and let her fly and God will, you know, you know, I've heard some of those sermons and I really never cared to listen to them again. Uh, but having the gift of prophecy, you could just get up and start speaking. By the way, a lot of times the prophets didn't even, they had no clue, uh, you know, exactly what the prophecy meant. They just knew this is what God said. And uh, you find a good example of that, of course, in the book of Daniel. So notice here that in speaking of these, it's very clear from verse number 8 that these gifts are going to, notice he says, prophecy is going to fail, tongues, they're going to cease, knowledge will vanish away. So there's no question about the fact that, that at some point in time, all of these spiritual gifts were to cease, right? Th- that's clear. You can't deny that. The only question here has to do with when. When were those gifts going to cease? Well, uh, Paul gives us the answer to that. And that's the second thing I want you to notice. That in verses 9 on down through verse 12, he provides... An example. Now, notice the instance of this in verse number 9 and 10. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. That is, we don't have the whole picture yet. We're just bits and pieces. But when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. Now, notice that Paul is narrowing his example down to one gift and that is prophecy he's not saying that this is the only gift that was going to pass away notice he already mentioned two others he's just narrowing it down for the sake of making an illustration here and he's using prophecy as an example no here's the key to understanding this notice the phrase in part it's mentioned in verse 9, it's mentioned in verse 10, it's mentioned in verse number 12. In part is in contrast to what was full or complete or permanent. And the time element, notice, is given in verse number 10 where Paul says, When that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away. So there you have it. 
You cannot deny the fact that these are going to pass away. And notice he tells us that they're going to pass away when that which is perfect is come. The question again is when? And he he answers when that which is perfect is come. Well, here we go again. We've got another problem. What does that mean? Well, there are those that claim that is referring to when Jesus comes. Uh, but, But notice he says when that which is perfect is come he does not say when he which is perfect is come but that that is a neuter pronoun and paul here speaking here of a person or had he been speaking of a person he would have said he not that when that which is for whatever it is we'll get to that in a minute whatever that is He says, whenever it gets here, then all of these gifts are going to pass away. They're all going to be gone. So it has nothing to do with He, nothing to do with Him, nothing to do with Christ. I know you've heard it the other way and you've heard preachers quote this. Boy, I'm looking forward to the day when Christ is going to come and we're going to see face to face and what have you. Uh, But this is not referring to a person, but it is that when we'll all be with the Lord Now, that's a better explanation than the first, uh, but it still doesn't really convey the true meaning. And notice the word here, that, and what it is contrasted with. And a lot of times, you know, we just look at a verse and just the first thing comes to our mind, we just grab a hold of it and that's our interpretation of it and it's usually wrong. But remember, he's making a contrast and the contrast is between that which we've ruled out the fact that it's not Christ, okay? It's not a person, whatever that is. There's a contrast between that and that which is perfect, which means full or complete. He says, now, notice he said, now we see in part, we know in part. And so whatever he's talking about there is connected to prophecy which is is the Word of God, right? Prophecy is the Word of God. Prophecy was not the opinion of the preacher. You know, it's not he got up and he said, you know, I just feel that the way things are going, you know, I feel like the direction, if something doesn't change, this is what's going to happen. No, listen, when the prophet prophesied, it was perfect. It was It was the very Word of God. So he's speaking here about that which is in part, an imperfect revelation, accurate, absolutely, because it's the Word of God. But it's imperfect. We just know in part. And so that, that with the bits and the pieces, we don't, we don't have the big picture. But when that which is perfect shall come, and that means that which is full, that which is complete, uh, when that has come, these others are going to be done away with. Well, what in the world could it be talking about? Well, we believe that since the context here has to do with the Word of God, right, uh, then it must have reference to the Bible. And, and you know, we, we, and you say, well, yeah, but, it, you know, what about additional revelations? Well, we don't have any additional revelations. The Bible makes that very clear in the book of Revelation, for example, right there at the end. It gives, a, it gives a warning about a curse upon the person that would add anything to the Word of God. 
when I'm so grateful when I stand here with this old black book in my hand, I know I have the full, complete, infallible Word of God in my hand. You can't take anything away from it, and you better not try to add anything to it, because it is what it is. That's why James called it, here's that word again, the perfect law of liberty. By the way, that also fits with what Paul said in, 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 in chapter 13 in verse number 12, and we'll consider that in just a minute. And so all of this is very evident that he's speaking about the completion of the Word of God. Now, he's going to give us an illustration. He's given us the instance, but here's the illustration of it. And he talks about putting away childish things after becoming an adult. You know, if spiritual gifts were to continue until until Jesus comes, like some people believe, if that was the case, you wouldn't need to have any illustration here whatsoever. That wouldn't make any sense at all, would it? I mean, if they're going to continue till He comes, I mean, that's just the way that it is. So why illustrate something that, you know, that is... Uh, that you know, that is perfectly clear that the spiritual gift is going to continue when Jesus comes. Now, you know, then we'll have the whole picture and what have you. Nobody had even raised a question about putting away childish things or how long these gifts were going to last. And so Paul is trying to illustrate to them. Now, let me, let me make it clear that he's not saying these gifts were childish. That's not the point. He's just using the illustration. Those gifts served a very real and serious purpose in God's plan, but they were not needed forever. Now remember, when Paul wrote this, the church was still in its infancy stage, and they did not have a completed Bible. You know, we think about the letters, for example, of the Apostle Paul, and the letters are, you know, addressed to, to, to churches. And in the case of Timothy, you know, of course, it was addressed to Timothy, who was the pastor of the church at Ephesus. But uh, it, they all had to do with churches. Can you imagine one of those churches getting getting a letter from Paul? And this letter is to become a part of the complete Word of God. But the excitement and thrill they must have got when they received that letter. And over time, of course, they, you know, they, these letters were, were accumulated and put together and become what we call the complete Word of God today. So the point is, Paul says, whenever I was a child, there were certain things that as a child were useful to me, but things that were, you know, childish. But now I'm a, an adult. Those things serve their purpose. Now I'm an adult. I put away those childish things. And so that's exactly what he does in regards to the spiritual gifts. By the way, he never mentions tongues again anywhere. Nor did Peter, James, or John, or Jude ever mention the subject. And there, there are certain churches you can go in today, and I'll guarantee you every service somewhere during the course of the service, you're going to hear some talk about tongues. Peter, James, and John, and Jude never said anything about it. Paul never said anything about it whatsoever after this. He's trying to get them to see that whenever the Bible is completed, 
there will be no need for that which is in part. And notice the instruction now he gives when we come to verse number 12. He says, for now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part. But then shall I know even as also I am known. That word now comes from a word that means up to the immediate present. This is referring to the time of Paul's writing. This is when it happened. Now, he says, so he's describing their present condition. Now we see through a glass. That's referring to a mirror. And by the way, in those days, mirrors were made of polished metal. And, and, and that polished metal, as you know, is not a perfect picture, but it gives you an imperfect, obscure reproduction you oh you can see yourself in it uh, but you, you don't you don't really get the whole picture you know you can't see the freckles and the pimples and the, and the face might be a bit distorted you're just not getting the whole picture but that that was the best they had at that time and that's why he says notice now we we see as in a glass and he uses the word darkly that's describing their present condition. Well, it's darkly. We Notice he says, we know in part. We don't have the big picture. It's bits and pieces. But then, but then. And this refers to verse number 10. But then, notice now, this is the way it is now. But then, when that which is perfect is come, then that which is in part shall be done away so he's saying here that these gifts will eventually have served their purpose and just as you put away childish things when you become an adult now those things are put away they cease to exist why because he tells us now that we have a full and complete revelation and notice the way he pictures that he says now we see face to face I, I love the way James talks about that in James chapter number one, where he's talking about being doers of the word. And if any man be a hearer of the word and not a doer, you know, he's like a man beholding himself in a glass. He's, you know, he sees himself as he is, but it, instead of doing something about it, you know, instead of shaving or whatever, you know, he just turns around and goes his own way. And so James is using this same analogy here. And then notice when that which is perfect is come, that is the Word of God, the complete Word of God, he says, then we'll see face to face. Here's what he's trying to tell you. The Bible is a perfect mirror. And with the completed Bible, they no longer need any sign gifts. Because the sign gifts were given in order to authenticate the authority of these men as messengers of God. Because after all, some, some, some dude comes in, in town riding on a donkey or something and says, Oh, I've got a message from God for you. Well, who are you? Well, my name's Paul. I used to be Saul of Tarsus, and the Lord struck me down on the road to Damascus, and He saved my soul and changed my life and sent me into the world with the gospel message. Well, why in the world should we listen to you? 
I mean, how do you, you know, how do you authenticate the fact that you are a God-called preacher? Well, before the completion of the Bible, you know, God enabled them to have that means of authentication. And I'm telling you what, after that, I mean, you think about having the gift of healing and you could heal the sick and you could talk in other languages not naturally acquired and you had this supernatural knowledge and you could do all of these things. It's uh, Wow, I think I'll listen to that guy. This is, this is not normal. This guy must surely be a messenger of God. Look, we don't need that today. I don't need to get up here and prove to you anything about who I am because who I am is not important. How much I know is not all that important. It's what does the Bible say, thus saith the Lord. And I'm telling you, whether it's me, whether it's Brother Kenneth, whether it's your Sunday school teacher, your mama, your daddy, or whether it's your grandma or your grandpa or whoever it is, when they open the Word of God and begin to read from the pages of the Word of God, you are hearing the voice of God. God is speaking to you through His Word. And it is a mere that enables us to see face to face. In other words, we see ourselves as we really are. Some people might wonder why I put so much emphasis on the importance of reading and studying your Bible every single day. Well, that's one reason. Because we just naturally have a tendency to deceive ourselves and to think better of ourselves. Bev and I talked about that on the way home. In fact, she preached a good message. And I, I, in fact, in fact, I, I told her, I said, I, I need to move you down to the amen row. I, uh, get her down here because uh, she really brought a, a good message. And we talked about this very thing, basically, that it's so easy for us to think we're following the Lord and think we're sold out to the Lord. You know, we, we try so hard to convince others that's what we're really doing. After a while, we start believing our own lie, and we're not anywhere even close to where we really ought to be. But I'll tell you what, you get in the Word of God every day, and it's like God just slaps you upside the head and say, wake up. You think you're one thing, but this is the way you really are because when you see yourself in the Word of God, that's the way it really is. And we're more sinful and more selfish and more awful and more terrible than we ever imagined. If you don't believe, you just get in the Word of God. You measure yourself by this standard and all of a sudden you don't look so good and we begin to see the, the, the need for change in our life. Now there's one more thing that goes with this. Remember, we're still talking about the permanence of love. And, and notice he proclaims in verse 13, he proclaims what is permanent. He said all these other things are going to pass away, right? Now, back in the last verse, I think it is, verse 31 of chapter 12, he makes a very interesting and important statement. Notice what he says, But covet, that is, desire earnestly the best gifts, and yet, and yet show I unto you a more excellent way. What, what is he saying? He's telling them at that time, when he was writing this, hey, it's fine for you to desire these 
supernatural gifts that he just mentioned in the chapter before that, chapter 12. It's fine. Covet those things. And, and, and covet's a good word, by the way, when used like that. It's okay to desire those things, but I'm going to show you something better. I'm going to show you something more excellent than that. And that's what he's been doing throughout chapter number 13. Because here he shows us the temporary nature of those spiritual gifts. And now notice he's going to mention three things, three things that will continue after the spiritual gifts are gone. Notice what he says. And now abideth. At this present time, in other words, now as I'm writing this, now abideth faith, hope, charity. These three. But the greatest of these is charity. These three graces existed in Paul's day, and they all three will continue throughout the church age. Until Jesus comes, until we all get to heaven, there's going to be faith, there's going to be hope, there's going to be charity. Even after the passing of those spiritual gifts, faith, hope, and charity will still exist. I wish I had time, and I don't. Do you know those are the three things that make up the standard by which every church is judged? I have a sermon I preach uh, uh, in regards to the church at Thessalonica, which he says, by the way, was the example church. It was the pattern church for all of the other churches. And then he mentions to, to, to the Ephesians also these same three things, faith and hope and charity. That's the way God measures this church. You know, we'd like to think he measures it by the size of the congregation or by the talent of the choir or whatever, you know, but no, no. God's measuring this church by our faith. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. And by not only our faith, but our hope. Do you realize hope is that important to God? He's measuring us according to our faith, according to our hope. And also according to our love. Now here's the thing. Although these are going to abide throughout the church age, the time's going to come when faith is going to give way to sight. We don't need faith anymore. Right? Hey, we'll be in the Father's house in the presence of our blessed Lord. We don't need faith then. Man, we've got sight. We're going to see everything as it really is. We won't need hope anymore. It's already, we're already there. Ain't nothing to hope for now. We're in heaven. It's all right there. But notice he says, love never faileth. And, and that word faileth implies that there's no end to it. It's not going to come to an end. It's never going to cease. Throughout the endless ages, how could you have heaven without love? Wow. And love is going to exist forever. You know, I've always been amazed. And as you know, now last time I mentioned this, 
and, and I've been looked around. That same fellow might be here tonight. And if you if you are, I want you to know that I love you. I wasn't trying to offend you. I wasn't trying to hurt your feelings in any way. I was simply trying to make a point. And I'm going to do it again tonight. If you want to leave the same way you did last time, you help yourself. But you're not going to change what I preach. He went out the door screaming and yelling and pitched a fit out there in the parking lot where you could hear him all over the place because he didn't like what I said in talking about other churches. Well, I was born and raised in Springfield, Missouri, which is the which is the international headquarters of the Assemblies of God and also the Pentecostal Church and Evangel College and and so, I mean, I, I was born and raised right in the middle of the charismatics. So I know a little thing, a little bit about what I'm talking about when I talk about the charismatics. And I've basically seen it all. And, and I, I was not using a figure of speech when I said I've seen them hanging from the rafters during the service, rolling on the floor, dressed up. I remember one night in one place there, and this was when I was a kid and peeking in the window, and I don't have any idea what this was all about, but somebody was dressed up in a leopard-like suit running all around and the preacher, of course, trying to preach, and this guy's running all around, all, all kind, all kinds of different things going on, and and of course, I remember they had. Uh, this was right after I first got saved, and and one of the college students said, "You heard about having this famous, uh, famous healer, you know, in the sur- uh, in in, a, in in town." And I believe it was down on Commercial Street in a building down there that he had rented a hall and was holding the service and. And we decided, let's go, out of curiosity, let's go down there and see what that's all about. You know, we didn't believe it, but we just wanted to go. So we did. And we got in there. And, and of course, you know, they started out singing and what have you. And this guy must have, uh, must have almost convinced me maybe he did have the gift of knowledge because he started talking about those heretics were that were there just for the sake of being critical and blah, blah, blah. He just went on and on. We started looking at each other and we finally said, let's get out of here. We, we, le- we left out of there. I mean, we, we didn't hang around any longer. He is talking about us for sure. But he, I, I'm trying to make a point here. It is so amazing to me that you go to those meetings and you hear so much about the gift of tongue. When in God's name is somebody going to start a love movement? Why is it they were not talking about love? It's the greatest of all. So what Paul said. You see, it's so easy for people to get hung up on some doctrine like that. But, well, maybe because, by the way, my grandma was a Pentecostal holiness. That doesn't mean I ought to be. But people, you know, get hung up on that and they think, well, grandma and grandpa, that's what they were. It's good enough for them. It's good enough for me. No, you listen, you better be right. You better be right. And you're never wrong. You're never wrong when you're walking in love. That's the one thing above everything that God wants for each and every one of us. Now, let me say this and I'm through. When I started out as a young preacher, 
50 years ago, and the one thing I never wanted to do, I never wanted to compromise. I never wanted to be a quitter. I never wanted to be a compromiser, somebody that gave in, lowered my standards. I just didn't want anybody to you know, look at me and say, yeah, boy, he, uh, yeah, he really become a liberal or something. I was determined that wasn't going to happen. And I'd heard some of these preachers, you know, talk about, man, you ought to fight against this. And I literally, one literally said, as he was illustrating, you ought to fight against the dance. You ought to fight against the movies. You ought to fight against it. He said, when you run out of things to fight against, fight against Hershey candy bars and get a big crowd and tell the people they're rotting their kids' teeth out, you know. And that was his way of getting a big crowd. He got big crowds, but uh, but anyway, I... I didn't want to be a compromiser. And I want to tell you, I just, and I'm, this is a confession, I run roughshod over God's poor people. That first church I pastored, I thought they had to be the worst pe- people in all of the world. And it turns out for them to put up with me, they had to be some of the best people in the world. That they didn't run me off. I, I you know, I finally resigned because I thought I was more spiritual than they were. You know, and they hey, they love love me instead, or in spite of what I was, and uh, I I never I never really got away from that until I discovered what Paul said in Ephesians, and that is speaking the truth. That was important to me, speaking the truth. But then he added these words: in love, in love. That's the one thing that makes. The difference, speaking the truth. Listen, everything we do ought to be done out of a heart of love. That's the one thing that never fails, the one thing that will abide through all of eternity. Amen. God willing, next week we're going to talk about the preeminence of love, and I hope you'll be here with us. I have no idea what God might be saying to you, but I know Edward's here tonight. Edward is awaiting baptism, and uh, and Brooke joined by letter last week, and we're so thankful for that. And so he's going to come here in just a minute. And uh, and by the way, let, let, let me say this is really important, and, and I, 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 I need to make an announcement, and, and, and I'm going to hold off till after I get back down here, okay? Don't go away because things are not over. And so uh, stay with me. I, I'm tempted to just go ahead and say it now, but I, I don't, don't want to do that. So uh, I already told somebody to remind me, but you stay here because Edward's going to be coming back now and we want to welcome Edward into our, into our family uh, tonight. Let's all stand. If God's speaking to your heart about anything from salvation, don't ever forget. God loved you. Christ died for you there on the cross. He arose from the grave. He paid your sin debt. He made a way for you to miss heaven and make, or miss hell and make heaven. And, and, and you could become a child of God right here tonight. And, and if that's, if, if that's the need of your life, This is your hour. This is your moment. This is your time. If you're here tonight and God's speaking to you about baptism, church membership, whatever it is, we invite you to come just now while we sing. It's 384. 
to be